Welcome to the Jewish Diaspora Report. On this week's episode, we're going to look at the recent banning of the Pulitzer Prize-winning Holocaust book, Mouse, the recent survey showing America's lack of Holocaust knowledge, and the other or lesser-known Holocaust. Let's get started. According to a CNBC report on January 26th, the news broke that a Tennessee school board has voted to remove the Pulitzer Prize-winning graphic novel Mouse from the 8th grade language arts curriculum due to their concerns about profanity and images of female nudity in the depiction of Polish Jews that uh, were survivors of the Holocaust. At issue is the word damn and uh, the use of a woman's breast in one of the scenes on January 10th, a vote by the McMinn County School Board, which only began attracting attention Wednesday, comes amid a number of battles in school systems around the country as conservatives target curriculums over teaching the history of slavery and racism in America. Just to give some background for those of you who maybe don't know what the book Mouse is, uh, it's spelled M-A-U-S. It is a survivor testimony based on the author's father. He is a survivor of the Holocaust, and Art Spiegelman created a comic book-style graphic novel of his father's testimony as a way of trying to make it accessible for young people. The Nazis are represented with human bodies, but cat heads. So imagine sort of a cat on a person's body. And the Jewish people are represented by people with mice heads. This is meant to sort of almost dehumanize a little bit to allow it to be a little bit more palatable for young people to read such a difficult story. Some backstory on my own experience with the book Mouse. It's actually kind of interesting. It's the first book I ever read that uh, led me on a path towards education and Holocaust studies. I remember specifically walking into my elementary school library. i uh, so excited. It was the book day where you go and your parents give you a couple of dollars and you can go and pick from any book on display and bring it home and you can read it. And I'm not sure why this book stood out to me, but I recall specifically finding this book and feeling like I needed to read this book. Maybe it was the graphic novel aspect, uh, maybe because I didn't really care much for reading when I was in elementary school. Maybe it could have been because I was aware of having grandparents who were survivors myself that I felt that I really wanted to, to purchase this book and read it. And I read the entire thing, even though I really didn't like reading at the time. And it really changed my life. I could actually credit this book probably for starting me on the journey of becoming a scholar of World War II, of history, and maybe even as a teacher of history myself. This book obviously plays a very large role within North America, maybe even the world, for teaching young people about the horrors of the Holocaust in a very accessible way for students in grade, you know, eight or seven. It's a little disappointing to see places canceling this book or, or taking it off the curriculum because they believe that teaching these difficult subjects is not a good idea. I think canceling the book for the fairly flimsy reason of a cartoon woman being depicted or the word damn being so difficult for students to understand is a little bit silly. I think the purpose of this book is to spark conversation. It's to spark questions. It's to hopefully engage young people with some of these difficult topics. As a teacher myself, of course, I struggle sometimes with how to teach secondary school age, high school age students, how to deal with things like the Holocaust, how to explain why they happen, how to explain how to stop it from happening. How do good people do bad things? These are very difficult and complex questions. And of course, we have to hope that students will gain some perspective and understand how to relate these things to today. Of course, we know history to be cyclical and we need to make sure that people are aware of what's happening in the world and what has happened in the world 
in order to fight it and stop it from happening again, especially when we see the rise of anti-Semitism. This book is all more important to try and explain to young people what anti-Semitism leads to. I remember standing at the Maidanic death camp and reading the quote, let our fate be a warning to you. And this is written on the tower that overhangs the ashes of thousands and thousands of victims of the Holocaust. And if that is not what we should be trying to do, is making sure that their fate is not forgotten and we do not take that warning. Yes, some books have very difficult topics, and if we shy away from them, we will forget history completely. I think that we need to use those books as tools with the proper scaffolding and context around it so we can teach about these very difficult issues to ensure that students and people of all generations will never forget the mistakes of the past. I think with the right scaffolding and information and background from the teacher and class discussions and understanding, it could easily be used as a great tool for making sure that the next generations are made aware of the difficult issues of the past and make sure that they don't happen again. Right after this break, we're going to talk a little bit about maybe what happens when you ban books and not allow students to understand these difficult situations. This is the Jewish Diaspora Report. We'll be back in a moment. Previously, in the last segment, we spoke a little bit about banning books about the Holocaust and other very difficult situations in schools. We have found that this leads to an unfortunate lack of education in the United States and around the world, for that matter. A 2020 NBC News report suggests that a survey finds a, quote, shocking level of Holocaust knowledge among millennials and Generation Z. A nationwide survey released on Wednesday shows, quote, wording lack of basic Holocaust knowledge among people under 40, including one in 10 respondents who did not recall ever hearing the word Holocaust before. The survey, touted as the first 50-state survey of Holocaust knowledge among millennials and the Generation Z, showed that many respondents were unclear about the basic facts of the genocide. 63% of those surveyed did not know that 6 million Jews were murdered in the Holocaust, and over half of those thought the death toll was fewer than 2 million. The survey shows that about half of the millennials and Generation Zs represented have seen Holocaust denial or distortion posts online. Personally, I recall hearing the stat that approximately 33% of young people receive their information about the Holocaust through social media. I would be hopeful to think that most people would agree that the Holocaust is definitely something that we should remember as a society or as a world. We need the Holocaust as a reminder of what can happen when things like anti-Semitism or hate or otherness causes problems in the world and it could lead to mass genocide Of course, the concern is that we are worried that students are learning their information through social media rather than in schools because possibly we are banning books that are meant to be teaching students about the Holocaust. We as educators need to do a little bit of a better job in making sure that our students get the firsthand experience through the Holocaust museums that are around the world or online resources that are provided by places like the Shoah Foundation This issue grows, of course, as survivors are getting older and older and unfortunately passing away and we no longer have the ability to get firsthand sources. The Yad Vashem Museum in Israel, along with the United States Washington Holocaust Museum, have done great things in creating survivor testimonies, online resources. One of the coolest things I've seen is the USC and Shoah Foundation have teamed up to create sort of a virtual reality, futuristic 
artificial intelligence style video for young people to be able to even ask questions of survivors forever. And it is quite an amazing resource to use. And I think these statistics are showing that teachers need to definitely use some of these resources, read these books, look at these films in order to show their students something that's a little challenging, but very, very important. Sadly, social media is a really bad place for people to learn about the Holocaust. We know of the anti-Semitism that lives there, the Holocaust denial. It is easy to go down a rabbit hole and believe whatever you read, especially if you do not get that other side, the, the real side from your teachers at school or from your classmates and discussions from reading books and and documentary films, since unfortunately we are unable to clean the internet of all of the hate speech and Holocaust denial, we definitely need to make sure that we fill our students' heads with the real stories, the facts, the images, and the books that we want to read to make sure that they can combat that misinformation themselves and be critical thinkers. Arming our students with knowledge is the best way to make sure that we turn the tide on this horrible statistic that people under 40 just don't have enough information on the Holocaust in order to fight the misinformation. What we commonly say about the Holocaust is that we should, quote, never forget. And it looks like, unfortunately, we're losing that battle and we are allowing our future generations to forget. When we come back from this break, we're going to talk about the forgotten Holocaust, one that many of us probably have never heard of. We'll be right back with the Jewish Diaspora Report. In the last segment, I referred to the other or lesser known Holocaust, and this would be the Holocaust of the Jewish people from the Sephardic lands, such as the Iberian Peninsula, Spain, Portugal, and also the Mizrahi Jews of North Africa and the Middle East. Many people, including Dr. Henry Abramson, argue that the Holocaust is usually incorrectly perceived as an event that only affects Ashkenazi Jews or Jews from the Eastern Europe area, and not so much the Sephardic and the Mizrahi Jews. Many of these Jewish people from these lands have a very rich and ancient culture. For example, Jews that have lived in the Arab countries of North Africa and the Middle East, things like Algeria, Egypt, Iraq, Lebanon, Libya, Morocco, Syria, Tunisia, and Yemen. Some of these communities have been there since the biblical times. In 1939, more than 850,000 Jews lived in these countries. These Jewish people were not immune from the challenges faced during the Nazi occupation of many countries across North Africa and the Middle East. Many Sephardic and Mizrahi Jews living within North Africa and the Middle East were living under the Ottoman Empire. These communities were relatively secure and prosperous during and before the war. Unfortunately, they did have to pay a non-Muslim tax called a dhimmi tax, but they were relatively prosperous under the Ottomans. Many people may be unaware that the Ottoman Empire allied itself with the Axis powers, so unfortunately the Holocaust did eventually make its way to the Jews of these areas under the Ottoman Empire. Where the Holocaust did arrive uh, seemed to be mostly where territories were controlled by Vichy France and by the fascists in Italy. In Tunisia, for example, the Vichy government introduced a series of Nazi-inspired anti-Semitic laws in 1940, Interestingly, the governor and monarch delayed implementing the order in order to minimize their financial impact on the Jewish people living within his realm. Eventually, deportations began to forced labor camps in 1942, where the Germans took over and occupied the lands held by the Vichy France and the Italian fascists. 
Some deaths were avoided by the capture of Tunisia by the Allies, which helped some Jews survive and avoid the fate of their neighbors. Many of these non-Ashkenazi Jews faced persecution and deportations to camp, just like their European counterparts. What was one interesting fact that tied a lot of the Ashkenazi Jews together in the concentration camps was that they were able to speak similar language. Many Jews of Europe would speak Yiddish or some form of German and Yiddish together that allowed them to communicate. So when someone would come to a, a concentration camp, it would allow them to be able to speak and understand and, and, and help others. So for many of these Sephardic Jews who would speak Ladino, which would be a mix of Hebrew and Spanish, they would arrive to the concentration camps at a very big disadvantage and not be able to communicate with the other people at the camp. They would, they would have a much more difficult time trying to communicate and, and make their way around the camp. Many people who have studied the Holocaust are realizing that there is this forgotten aspect of the Holocaust that deals with the Jews outside of the Ashkenazi background. It's a very unique history and we need to make sure that we not only teach the European view, but also all of views of Jewish experiences during the Holocaust. In the end, it is very important that we make sure that we not only teach about the Holocaust in all of its aspects, but we make sure to keep that in our schools in order to make sure that people are not learning the wrong information and misinformation through sources like social media and online. We need to make sure that we follow the quotes of the past, which is to never forget. This has been another episode of the Jewish Diaspora Report. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I want to take this time to thank everyone who's been supporting the show, everyone who's listening to it. It is incredible to see the reach that we've had. Don't forget to follow us on social media at jdr.podcast. Thanks for all your support, and we'll see you next time. 